Welcome to the podcast of Temple Baptist Theological Seminary of Bruton Parker College. This podcast is focused on encouraging and equipping pastors by way of ministry discussions, personal interviews, and theological explorations where we desire to merge ministry and theology. The podcast for today is a conversation with Dr. Billy Puckett, who is a colleague of mine here at the seminary, but also he is an associational mission strategist for the Daniel Baptist Association. So, Billy, great to have you with us today. I'm delighted to be here. Amen. (laughs) Tell us a little bit quickly about your background and how you actually got to be at this place at this time. Uh, Well, of course, uh, I was uh, born again a little later in life when I was 18 and uh, then called into the ministry shortly thereafter, just very passionate about the Word and the church. And in 2005, Hurricane Katrina hit. You know, we lost everything. We were in a first floor apartment at the back of campus, which flooded uh, all the way to the ceiling. And so we lost everything. At that point, we had a two-year-old and a six-month-old. And we evacuated and was going to transfer to Southeastern. But the Lord really impressed on us that we needed to be in New Orleans. So we went back to New Orleans after about 11 months of evacuation in 2005. And we were working with Habitat for Humanity. The rebuild work really ramped up. And so we... Uh, had a little bit of background in construction. The Lord had uh, invested that in us. And so at that time, we really were leading a lot of mission teams uh, from all over the country coming in and helping to rebuild. And uh, I got away uh, during that from 2005 to 2008. I got away from my studies a little bit and was really focused on rebuild. There was just a lot of people and a lot of work to be done in New Orleans. But uh, that mission work and that mobilizing missions uh, really turned into you know, a big part of my ministry, uh, how God was going to use me going forward. So I learned a lot about missions, running missionaries and mission teams and mission projects and, you know, uh, engagement in the field and evangelism. And so that those those days were very valuable learning. And, and Samaritan's Purse came to town and I had a two-year stint from 2008-2010. And I transferred over from Habitat for Humanity to Samaritan's Purse. The Lord said, hey, you're supposed to continue working on your, your Ph.D., and so I transferred over, and I did eventually complete the Ph.D. in theology and ethics at New Orleans. But at the same time, I was also working for, I transferred from the from Samaritan's Purse in 2010, they just had a two-year deal, to New Orleans Baptist, um, uh, New Orleans Baptist Association. So I started uh, working in the association in New Orleans as a compassion ministry coordinator mm-hmm. under the director of missions. At that time, it's called director of missions. And then the Lord brought me over. Uh, Bob and I, the provost here now at uh, Bruton Parker College, he was heavily involved in rebuilding New Orleans. And the Lord brought him here uh, before me. And then whenever I graduated and Bob reached out to me and brought me here. And I thought, well, this is just a time for me to change and be fully immersed into the world of academia and teaching. It's what my degree was in, theology and ethics. And I wanted to use it to teach. And uh, so I had this opportunity opened up. But when I I came here in 2016, and right there at the beginning of 2017, the director of missions here was called to North Carolina to serve in North Carolina. And that position opened up. And Dr. Eccles had some conversations with the local pastors in this area. And uh, they all together thought it was a good strategy for me to continue to serve at the college, teach at the college, but also become the associational missionary for the local association, which is the Daniel Baptist Association. Uh, Let me back up and see if I can grasp kind of the overall context. You did not grow up as 
a believer, is that correct? That's correct. And at what age did you actually then make your profession of faith, accept Christ, and say, now I'm, I'm really walking with the Lord? I was 18 years old after I graduated high school. I met a friend that I hadn't seen in a long time, and he was a believer, and he invited me to church, and uh, I started getting involved there and just, you know, being with the church. And then Ronnie Hill, is an itinerant evangelist in Texas, still still doing the work, I believe, under Ronnie Hill's preaching out of the gospel, I respond of the gospel. Amen. 18, that summer, that was right, 1993. How quickly then did you feel a call to ministry? About two years. I was just immersed. I, I developed a strong hunger for the Word. I was just reading the Word so much constantly. And then in uh, around 95, maybe, I guess it was, Kyle Klemke, who was the BCM director at Stephen F. Austin State University at the time, he brought us to the first Passion Conference the, in Texas, the Louis Giglio Passion mm-hmm. Conference. Yes, like when course. it was, uh, that first one, it was relatively small compared to what it turned into. We went to that Passion Conference, and I heard the preaching and teaching of John Piper, and that was the first non-biblical Christian book. It was the first Christian book I ever picked up, was Desiring God, and I picked it up there. I just thought, I really want to learn more about that. That passion for the Word and for the church, it just kept growing and growing, and no other passions were there. <laughs> and so that call to ministry. The Lord works like that very often. <laughs> yes, I had no other passions. I could not figure I tried to, I was, at one time I was going to do engineering at Lamar University and, and switched over to physical therapy because I'm very interested in fitness and those kind of things. You know, the passion for the church and the Word and teaching and theology was so strong that it, it consumed me. And so I thought, I'll, I want to benefit the church, and I want to be a servant of the church. And that's my calling, is to serve the bride of Christ. That's that's how I describe it. And that calling led you to theological education, whereby you started your process of education, went through a master's degree, then you began a Ph.D., and then there's a pause in the Ph.D. process. That's right. Because then you're working with uh, the post-Katrina uh, I guess in rebuilding New Orleans, working with Habitat for Humanity, Samaritan's Purse, etc. That's right. Then the Lord says, now it's time to get back into the academic world. It's time to finish up that degree That's because right. I have a longer term trajectory for you. Yes. That's exciting. Yes. And I've always struggled with it a little because you, I'm bivocational and I've always been bivocational in a sense. And I have these two tracks of ministry, you know, the academic world. I mean, I've, I've sat at a carol and, you know, working on that dissertation for hours and hours. I and very well remember those days. Right. <laughs> night after night. And, and that's the ivory tower, you know, the, the academic, you know, nose in a book. But he's also throughout his you know, use of me as serving the church, I've been in the field. I've been in primarily in missions, engaging in missions, helping other people engage in missions, and also engaging all sorts of issues, uh, recidivism and different, uh, pri- we do prison ministry and we do uh, just discipleship type ministries where we help young people with skills. I was building homes in New Orleans and we would uh, find young people out of the churches who I could disciple and teach them a skill set during the summers, all these kind of things, but also running missionaries and doing evangelism in the streets of New Orleans. So I had these two tracks. I think of it as a train on a a railroad track and you have to have both tracks. For me, I had to have both tracks to become the man that God wanted me to become. I couldn't have my nose in a book all the time, and I couldn't just be in the field and not have the theology and the ethics and to drive, to help empower and drive the ministry. And, and uh, even though at times I've you know, thought, 
really would be great to just be in academics, you know, and just be the professor. Uh, and at times I said, well, you know, it'd be really great if you were just in the fields, you know, and just fully immersed. But um, I don't think I would be the man that I am. I wouldn't be the man that I am. I'd be something else. But I don't, I think God knows me, knows exactly what I needed and knows how to best shape me. And it really, I needed both. I needed a balance of the education and the field work to, to become effective for the Lord. Well, I can affirm because I observed that you do an incredible job with students. Mm-hmm. Students absolutely love working with you, and mm-hmm. you have such a heart for them. There's no question about that. And let's hold that part of the conversation maybe for later in our podcast. But I do want to really focus upon the associational work. And I think the first thing I'd like to know, because you've now been immersed in associational work here, give me an overview of how you see the landscape here. Yeah, You know, the different guys have different skill sets, different uh, giftings. And so I don't feel adequate to be the pastor to the pastors in a sense. But the, the skill set and the gifting that I have is more of a mobilizer, more of a mission. So my, my focus as I've come here <clears throat> has been primarily to try to invigorate a missionary spirit in the churches, in the pastors, and to help them actually engage in missions and I definitely struggled with the concept of it uh, the Lord has opened you know some big doors for us to engage locally nationally and internationally I've struggled with some of that you know do I have as the association missionary do I have a particular target that I need to be focused on do I you know do I need to be trying to engage my churches in work in India um, and there's some interesting questions about those kind of things that I've struggled with Um, But let me interject here real quickly because I totally understand what you're saying there. Helping your churches engage in ministry and missions, that's a vitally important part of your role. That's right. But I also want to confirm that what I've seen in the months that I've been here, you actually do more pastoring to pastors than you probably realize because you're constantly meeting with them, you're encouraging them. I see these roundtable meetings you have with them on Mondays, Mm -hmm. you're working through book studies with them. You're doing a lot of pastoring, yes. and I want to commend you for that. You may slight that in your own mind, but from the outside looking in, no, I'm, I'm going to encourage you and hold you up that I see that yeah. as a very strong component of your work. And if I really, you know, I, if I sit and just, it's just not my day-to-day immediate focus, but if I sit and think about how the Lord has opened up some doors, I mean, there. Uh, whenever I think of shepherding, as a pastor, pastoring that, that term and shepherding. It's very personal, and when there's a lot of hurt in, in time, and you have to walk with people through good times and bad times, the Lord has opened some doors there where I've had pastors who have gone through really difficult situations, family situations, and personal things where I have been able to walk alongside them, and the Lord has blessed me to allow me to be there for them in those types of things as well. Now, as far as discipleship and education and trying to uh, invest in them so that they could be more effective at their work and benefit the churches in that way, I have I have tried that. I said, well, is there any way that I can... Cause Oh, you know, again, my calling is to serve the church. Is there any way I have 50 churches in the Daniel Baptist Association? How can I make those churches stronger? Well, one of those ways is to invest in their pastors. Can I make their pastor stronger, you know, faster, smarter, um, closer to God, uh, any, anything that I can do? I also have had the opportunity, again, to come alongside them in very personal ways. Um, you know, pastors retired. 
uh, you know, to be able to be there for them and encourage them and things like that. So the Lord has has opened those doors as well. FYI, I remember yesterday I saw you in the cafeteria meeting with two of our local pastors. You know, I don't know the content of the discussion, don't need to know. Mm-hmm. But what I saw was you investing in them just in relationally, working, Absolutely. encouraging, uh, building that relationship that's Absolutely. incredibly important yeah yeah and it's been good here's an interesting thing as an association missionary uh, as a pastor in a church you can invest in people as you have access to them as they kind of come around uh, in your relationships with them and I find the pastors as an associational missionary the pastors do have some similarities to a congregation you know some pastors uh, you interact with a lot and they come around a lot. And then there's uh, other pastors that are, you know, come around some, but are not quite as involved as some. And then there are some pastors that you hardly ever see. You know, they're kind of fringe as far as association concerned. And I don't have any pastors in my association that intentionally don't associate with this, with us because they don't, you know, want to. Uh, usually that just has to do with life circumstances. Um, Certainly. 80% of our pastors or more are bivocational. Well, that leads me to the next question. Let's talk about the status or health of the associations. Maybe we can use our own association Mm -hmm. as an example. We have 50 churches. Uh, How many of those churches have full-time staff? What, eight or ten maybe? Yes, around that, around around ten or so. Um, Which means the remaining 40 have bivocational part-time pastors. That's correct. Or not a pastor at all. That's correct. That's correct. Uh, Interim, right now we have, there's a lot of interim Pastors, um, we just went through a, a spell where we had a, probably about 20% of our churches had no pastor. And, and right now we have our two largest churches that will be one a pastor just announced his retirement on Sunday. And so they'll be beginning that process of finding their So next two of our larger churches in the association either have interim pastors or their pastor is about to exit retiring. So there are vacancies in both of those large churches, large, influential, important churches here. That's right. Do you see the association needing the work of the AMS in part because you have such a wide swath of bivocational or part-time pastorates, and those churches need the resources that the association can offer? Yeah, and right now I think the... AMS has a a lot of value in that when a church goes through that transition, the AMS is just a consistent presence there. He's all, you know, he can come in and he gets to know the folks. And and, uh, even though they're transitioning, the AMS can provide consistency. I've been able to do that. The executive committee voted for me to go and do like a three-month interim. That's not something normal that we do as AMS generally. Uh, you help them find a transitional interim, but at that time, uh, it, the association uh, executive committee determined that it was a good move for me to go over there, and so we did that. And it was a, just a real benefit. I, it, it worked out very well, and the Lord, you know, used that time very beneficially in the life of that church. And and then they brought on their new pastor, and so my consistent presence there, and um, it's just good. It's like, uh, you know, uh, having when you're raising your kids, and you're having you have like aunts and uncles and uh, other loved ones around, uh, they really impact. When you go to those family reunions all those years, they have a, a positive impact, the aunts and the uncles and the, and the grandparents and the different people. You know, yeah, I was going to say, don't leave out the grandparents. Don't leave out the grandparents. I'm one. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah, one of those. Right. And so, um, you know, the AMS is a, just another person that is a spiritual 
person who is influencing and, you know, that they can trust and that can love on those people, you know. Um, it really is a beneficial presence, the AMS, as a, as a kind of extended family almost in the church, you know. Demographically, when we think about South Georgia, we see that there is a very broad view of small churches, county seat churches, rural churches. Does that really elevate the need for the association, you think? It it for sure uh, brings several benefits um, because, uh, well, you know, the cooperative program in general uh, enables all churches I mean, we have some very small churches right now that have, you know, the just some charter members of the church that are still there, churches with... And that's all that's left. Five, that's all that's left. We have, a, you know, not a many, but we have some, you know, down to that five and ten members. And those members engage, I mean, if you think about the cooperative, the beauty of the cooperative program, those members are engaged in, you know, uh, an evangelistic crusade in India in that they are part of... they. they that Normantown Baptist, you know, they're giving money for Bibles to be distributed in India. And Amen. Yeah, that's, that's a great incredible. thing. It? It's spectacular. It is. You know, otherwise they, they they probably wouldn't have a lot of opportunity to engage. Well, they'd in, be so isolated and kind good. of secluded. But yeah. now they have an opportunity to have a world footprint because of that. So good. So the, the cooperative program is certainly beautiful. Right now, one of the you know, a substantial piece of the associational missionary and, and his work. Whenever you go to North American Mission Board, whenever you speak to the IMB, whenever you speak to your state convention, the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, you know, they know that the associational missionary has a, a kind of relationship with those 50 pastors that they won't have. You know, Kevin Azell is not going to have that, that kind of relationship with these 50 pastors, but he wants to. And if he could, he would. I mean, it's not his bad. But if they know the value of working with the associational missionary, working through the associational missionary to try and connect with these pastors as best they can, we are definitely a useful pass-through for a relationship from these churches to these large organizations. You know, I mean, uh, a lot of bivocational pastors, you know, I'll give them reports. This is what happens at this at the national convention whenever I come back. I give them a report. This is what's going on. I try to update them. Uh, a lot of... You know, uh, bivocational guys can't, they don't make it to, you know, the uh, Georgia Baptist Mission Board convention or don't make it to the Southern Baptist Convention, but I'll be there on behalf of uh, Daniel Baptist Association and on behalf of Brooke Parker College. And I can bring them, you know, that connectivity to the larger apparatus. Uh, the Association Missionary is a very important connection point between the smaller churches and the larger cooperative program of the Southern Baptist Convention, for sure. Certainly. Yeah, they have a lot of value in that way. Just as an aside, do you think that the work of the association is different in our context here in South Georgia as compared to some of the metro areas of Georgia, let's just say around Atlanta or Savannah, whatever it might be? Do you see the work being distinctly different because of our context? Well, there's universals that when I was in New Orleans, for example, I was at the association in New Orleans. And it was really important in New Orleans that Southern Baptists in particular work on reaching their community, which then consists of several different demographics, uh, ethnicities. And, and so, you know, we needed in New Orleans to make sure we were effective in those things. And we're not here to just to reach one de- demographic in the world. That's not God's call. Uh, you know, every tribe, tongue, and nation, right? Uh, every ethne. Yes. Uh, go and make disciples. So 
so that's similar here. You know, it, it's similar. There, you know, are the demographic of, for example, our area is about uh, 60 to 70% Anglo, uh, almost uh, 30, 25% or so African American, and then uh, uh, 5 or 10% Hispanic. These, you know, when it comes to the four counties, it breaks down. And so, you know, whenever, uh, as Southern Baptists, we need to make sure that we're reaching. Uh, every ethnicity. We have some Hispanic church plants. We recently, the Daniel Association, built, a, it took us a while, but we built some relationships with uh, Af- uh, some African-American churches, and, and one of those churches has joined the Daniel Baptist Association, has become yeah. uh, a Southern Baptist church, which is... Exactly, yeah. Uh, so in, in some sense, you know, the work is, is similar, but and then it is different in that, um, it, you know, relationally... Things are different in rural areas than urban areas. And, you know, there are universals about it. Sharing the gospel with people is it's just universal. Sure. Uh, you know, Thank but, goodness. Yeah. but the context, you have to contextualize things. But do you see the dispersion of churches, even geographically, to be something of an issue? Not an issue, but something of a concern because we have, I think, a different context here mm-hmm. in a general geographic dispersion. Because you're, you're working with, what, four counties, you said? That's right. Yeah, so that's pretty wide. It is. It's a pretty substantial area. That's true. But, again, you go to New Orleans. So, uh, you know, he had, he had the greater New Orleans area and several parishes. And he had some even more so of a spread and uh, still similar difficulties. Communication, you know, it's just so difficult to communicate well. In our day and time, to make sure everybody knows about what else happening, uh, the the Bible, the struggle to be able to effectively love on, care for, invest in, and be of, feel like you're being of any assistance to the bivocational guys uh, is is a real burden for an AMS. You just are struggle. How can I? I want to benefit you. How can I be a benefit to you? And then, you know, what can I do? And not be a bother to you as well. I don't want to be a burden to you, you know, to a bivocational guy. He's working 40 hours a week, you know. I don't... I don't I'm Somewhere not. else, in addition to being yeah, a that's right, church. that's right. Yeah. And I can appreciate because I'm bivocational, so I can, I can you know, I, I sure. get some of that. So, you know, I just see a lot of similarities. I see a lot, I see a lot more similarities than you'd think um, okay. you know, with, well, the, with the, the work. Let me follow up on that because the next part of my thought process is, well, what about the future? What does it look like for AMS work associations in the future? Do we shape and mold ourselves into something new and different? Do we innovate or do we continue with tried and true principles of what we've been called to do? I think we need to innovate and adjust. Culture is changing. Again, we, we have a lot of conversation about the post-Christian culture, these kind of concepts where, you know, the, the culture... And that's true even in rural areas. That's right. Exactly. There's not no just question. metro areas, but that's true even here. Not a, you, you feel like it's not as fast or it's... it's But because of social media, because of the influence of technology, uh, all the philosophies of the postmodern philosophies and uh, the cultural indifference to Christianity is... It's pervasive. So when before, you know, the seminaries, I I think even when I was in seminary, uh, they, you know, were teaching me how to minister to people who wanted to be ministered to. And that's not the case anymore. And it's not the case anymore. Uh, The seminaries have to teach us to be more missional, more apologetic, 
to go out and go out to people instead of just how to shepherd people who are coming to you because people aren't coming to you as much anymore. And that's a part of what we want to do at Temple Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to really merge that theological and the practical and help people be prepared to do that very thing. Yeah, as we go into the post-Christian culture, you're going to have to figure out not just... Because uh, you used to just be, you just needed to learn how to handle the scripture and learn theology, you know, because the people were going to come to you and you needed to be and able to teach them. That's just not the case, and it's not the case anymore. Uh, you have to uh, you have to convince them to want to to feed on the word and then give them the word, uh, which is you know uh, a new it's a new day for sure. So, what are some of those innovative strategies that can be deployed for the association? Uh, one of the things we've tried to uh, shift to, and I think educationally as well, you've uh, seen some of this over the past couple of years, is this idea of a worldview, uh, biblical worldview, this concept of trying to help the church members and the churches have a, a larger grasp on the gospel and uh, its impact on all, the wholeness of life and all of life. And it seems like what we want to do is show folks that they are part of a larger missional apparatus. God has a larger uh, overarching plan here and that they can engage in it. It's the same, figuring out how to equip. But I do find this uh, in this area in particular, and this may be widespread, but in our area, uh, most of our church leaders, uh, deacons, leader deacons, you know, people, elders in the church, uh, they have... Most many of them have never been on a mission mission trip at all. They've never been on the mission field. Um, now uh, they do local work, and and there's a there's this kind of a division uh, when you talk to folks. Sometimes you can run into this. Well, you know, we don't want to do international work. We want to focus local. You know, we want to do more local work, which is a false dichotomy in, in Christianity. I mean, that's there's no this or that. You know, it's our neighborhoods and the nations. It's and everything in between. You know, yeah. There's no line of demarcation no, between it's those not. two. We're more. We, it's a continuum. We, it's a continuum. We don't just. We're. You know, you can't just be. Well, we just focus on our neighborhoods. These kind of ideas. And so, I find that most folks have not, you know, have not engaged in missions and don't consider themselves in that kind of idea. Like a missionary is a, a particular kind of a person somewhere else. So anyway, trying to draw people out, trying to teach them something about a larger apparatus. How do you fit into this larger plan of the Lord, you know, moving? I was talking with a group the other day and we were kind of thinking through what does it look like for our college and seminary now mm-hmm. to have kind of a footprint here in South Georgia. And a part of what we hope happens is that we become a resource. Mm-hmm. We become a vital part of a network of bringing people together, coalescing ministries, helping people get connected cross ministries for the purpose of really advancing the kingdom. And that could be an innovative strategy going forward for associations is to develop healthier, stronger networks, not just within their own association, but outside of that. Do you think we tend to be a little cloistered? We tend to kind of cluster to ourselves much? Well, one of the fascinating things, whenever I first became AMS, this this was one of the shocking things that I ran into. Okay. Uh, I would, you know, invite two or three pastors from even one town to a lunch. And I was a new guy on the block, so I'm just getting to know people. And I just invite two or three pastors from Doing there. what you're supposed to do. Absolutely. And they would show up, and they would shake hands and introduce themselves to each other for the first time. Within their own town. Absolutely. <laughs> and I just, I would just, I would take my breath. I would, you know, I'd, I'd have to keep my poker face or something. And I would say, you don't know each other? 
you've never worked together. Isn't that interesting? Uh, yeah, like you've you you're right by each other. You know, your your church is just two miles up the road, right up there, and you're in the same town, and and you don't get together at all. You've never even met, really. I mean, you're shaking hands like you've never met before, and I thought that was fascinating. And some of the best best work that I have done, the, the God has used us best is the connection and, and of these pastors with one another and it has not only i find that when pastors connect with each other they thrive in that connection uh, they that's the network model that i'm talking about yeah. the ability to better connect to cross network connect yeah. and to build those resources out that it transcends your own bubble right. because we can help each other yeah. So much more than we can do on our own. Absolutely. There's a synergy that builds up, and it, it's it's not a zero-sum game in a sense, you know, where if that church is winning, it means I'm losing, and that's that whole, you know, numbers kind of issue. Yeah. It's really not. It's as as the spiritual life and, and the, the very air we breathe everywhere becomes stronger in every church, then every church benefits and every church grows um, from Lord the smallest to the, to the largest. And so... That networking and when those pastors interact, that's that's when they get strongest. Is when they're interacting with each other, man. When pastors, whenever I just watch them talk to each other, it is they are definitely sharpening and feeding off of each other and strengthening each other. And then now, you know, we we really have reached some very kind of interesting and good areas where the churches have you know begin to partner together on the mission field partner together even in town and the networking and the working together is the highest level of success for the associational missionary um, when he walks into a room and his pastors and churches are working together because of anything he's ever done you know that's where you've really that's your that's your win well billy i really appreciate your time thank you for your thoughts it's been great to have this conversation and look forward to many more conversations here in the hallways of our school absolutely as well as talking about church life thank you mark thanks for having me temple baptist theological seminary is a division of bruton parker college which is an institution of the georgia baptist mission board temple baptist theological seminary affirms the inerrancy of scripture and teaches within the framework of the baptist faith and message 2000 for more information concerning Temple Baptist Theological Seminary and Bruton Parker College, go to www.bpc.edu.